Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Full Contact. In association with Mitsubishi Motors. Drive your ambition. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. England needed a last-minute try and extra time to see off an inexperienced French side at Twickenham on Sunday and they lifted the inaugural Autumn Nations Cup. Despite this being the second trophy of the year, head coach Eddie Jones says, we are still to see the best of his side and he's called on them to embrace the pressure of being favourites as he switches focus onto the Six Nations next year. We'll be discussing England's successful year and looking at how the squad is looking ahead of the 2021 Six Nations. Elsewhere, Ireland ended their first year under Andy Farrell with a comfortable win over Scotland in Dublin. Farrell described Ireland's campaign afterwards as work in progress and we'll be speaking with the former Ireland scrum half, Owen Reddin, to get his take on Farrell's first year in charge and what needs to be done to bridge the gap between England, well, and France actually, ahead of the Six Nations. We'll also assess the impact both Scotland and Wales could have on that tournament. The Welsh head coach, Wayne Pivak, insists that his side are heading in the right direction after what's frankly been a bit of a year to forget for Welsh rugby. And we'll be taking a closer look at some of the work being done at grassroots level during the last seven months as parts of the Mitsubishi Volunteer Recognition Programme. Alongside me today, Maggie Alfonsi. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm all right. Um... Didn't quite go as most people thought it would do. Uh, it's England's second trophy. Dramatic circumstances. What, what did you make of the game? Um, well, first of all, it was a it was a good game to watch. A great advert for the tournament, considering all the games beforehand hadn't been as exciting as everyone keeps saying. Um, but it was great to see the game go to sudden death. I think if we're talking about both England and France as individual teams, you'd probably say England. Um, again, didn't have their best performance. Um, they you know, managed to come back, so it showed resilience and character. Uh, the French, we obviously um, said that they weren't going to show up because they're an inexperienced side, and they definitely showed up. Um, I, I personally think that you know, the game ran out of their hands. Like they, they let that game go, but others will say the referee had a part to play. But um, overall, I thought it was a good game to watch. Well, the referee did have a part to play, but they, and they were unfortunate in that sense. However, they were... 
lucky on this occasion that Owen Farrell, who is normally very reliable, had an off day because had he kicked the points when they were on offer, France wouldn't have got that lead. And, you know, it's very, it's a very different story to defend a lead you know, with the hope it gives you and to constantly be chasing games and, 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 and so on. I never thought that the French side would, um, would play badly. I mean, you're, too, you're definitely too young for this. But I remember playing in a, a, a probables, possibles England final trial. And these always went like this. The probable side hardly ever won because the possible side just said, sorry, let's have a go. Doesn't matter. You know, what have we got to lose? I'm not necessarily in. And the other side of thinking, don't make any mistakes. And quite often, they just didn't get to the rhythm. And I think part of it was partly that. But also, whatever plan B, C or whatever is, if you don't get your tactics right, and it's not the, to me, it's not the amount of kicking. It's a quality. And people get this wrong. Um, when, when a kick goes a long way and you make loads of touch, when you, you get man and ball and you get a turnover or a penalty... People don't say, oh, you've kicked it again because you've, it's happened. If it goes wrong and it's too long or it, gives, you know, or it goes out in the full, then people say, oh, it's boring. Well, that's intellectually dishonest. It's, you either criticise the kick itself, irrespective of what it is, or you don't. And the fact is, they just weren't kicking and chasing well. Do you know what? I think there's been a lot of talk about the whole kicking throughout the whole tournament. And, you know, I know Eddie's talked about it in previous interviews. Um, end of the day, they've got to do what they've got to do to win. <laughs> you know, um, you play rugby. If you're a professional player, you play rugby, as you know, you play rugby to to, to win the games. And um, entertaining the fans is sort of, you know, part of it, yes. But you've got to win the games. And we'd probably be criticising them if they weren't winning the games. So um, I think you're right about the quality of the kick. That's what we should be judging rather than the amount of times they kick. But at the same time, they do what they need to do to win because I know what I'd be like in their position. I just want to win. I don't care how it's done, just as long as we win. Well, funny enough, the uh, and Brian Habana, with a great stat from Brian Habana on, uh, on Sunday, and he said the win over New Zealand, which everyone agrees, is one of England's, if, if not the best, but one of the best performances you've ever seen from an England side. In that game, they kicked the ball two times less than the average per game that they do. That's all. But no one remembers that. I mean, it was a great game. They scored good tries and so on. So that, that's the point I'm making about this. Mm-hmm. Of course, it, it, it's accentuated when you think, oh, God, another kick gone badly. But people, have to, people aren't honest about this. They don't, they don't, they don't analyse it in the right way. What do, you, what do you reckon about Tom Curry? He's been chosen as player of the tournament. Impressed? You know, as a fellow flanker, yes, um, yes I think he's been brilliant. And I, I, I also would have put Toji up there. I thought Toji had been consistent throughout the tournament. You know, he probably was put under a lot of challenge, a lot of pressure, sorry, yesterday, um, especially in the line-out. But, you know, I thought Curry's been brilliant. I thought um, Underhill had a really good game last weekend. I think today, like, sorry, yeah, yesterday he pretty much got tested. Um, but, yeah, I've just been impressed with the, the England back row as a whole. Um, obviously, Vinopolo got player of the match yesterday. Um, the back row... For England, you know, they've got they've got depth now. I mean, Eddie's got a lot of players to choose from and there's players like um, uh, Sam Simmons who potentially could be in that England squad as well. You know, Jack, Jack Willis is performing. So there's a, there's a, yeah, England's got a healthy back row and I thought Curry stood out, Unhill stood out, uh, Villapolo, especially in the last game did. And then, you know, I would have looked at Toji as well who had a, I thought had a good tournament. Um, I wrote about this and Eddie Jones talked about it, um, about accepting the mantle of favourites and, you know, everyone, when they're not favourites, everyone says, oh, it doesn't matter. 
But we've seen, time after time, the Celtic sides, on the way up, do really well when they've got to world number one or near there in big games and they're supposed to win. They haven't done, and they've done that consistently. And I know, you know, it is a factor. New Zealand have dealt with this for for, for decades, and mostly, you know, brilliantly. Um, Jones has talked about the need to accept that. How do you go about that? You know what, uh, Brian, you know, it's hard... Having a tag as being a favourite is really challenging. Um, and, and I have to admit, I've always admired the underdog you know, mindset, you know, especially when you, for example, um, for me, I look at Wales, like the Wales men's team in particular, they've always had that mindset, you know, if we're the underdog, we're going to come out and absolutely show what we're capable of. Um, and teams like like France, again, like we saw yesterday, they, they literally embraced the underdog um, tag. And to become a favourite and to maintain a favourite is really hard. And I guess... I guess games like yesterday will only help England. Uh, it will only help them grow, help those young players in particular who's, you know, not used to, I guess, having the pressure of always being the favourite and then all of a sudden, you know, being put under pressure. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's it's, it's it's every game like that, which they get challenged, will only help them grow and help them, you know, develop. And you think about it, like you said, New Zealand have had that favourite tag for a long time and they've managed to cope and I remember talking to or not talking to I listened to an interview I think it was Aaron Smith and he talked about you know um, the games that he remembers are the ones that he's lost and the, mm. the ones that he's lost he's, he's framed his shirt because yeah. actually it's important to recognise what it feels like to lose so I guess being a favourite is, is is hard but you have to I guess learn to embrace it difficult though I'll tell you a couple of things for me you've got to set your own standards not the opposition however and maintain those wherever possible and be hard on yourself when you don't. But also, and I mean this in the right way, not a pretty Patel way, you've got to be, if, if, you, if you bully a side, you've got to enjoy it. You've got your foot on the throat, give them a good kicking, you know, score the tries, take delight in that. Don't feel sorry for people. It's a sporting contest. They're grown, grown adults just like you are. You know, and I think in the right sort of way, that mentality, you know, helps to, you, you to accept that. Let's just have a quick word on France. Um, What's obvious is they've got some depth, haven't they? <laughs> got a lot of depth. I mean, isn't it funny how before that game, everyone, I mean, everyone, including myself, was all saying, oh, you know, England have got all these experience, got all these caps. I mean, we always talk about caps. So I never really, sometimes for me, caps doesn't mean anything. It's actually the mindset of a player on the day. Um, you know, we were really obviously saying France weren't going to make it. And the depth of those players stood up. Um I think the French, if anything, you probably say the future for them is, is looking really good, regardless of certain players not being available. I think they 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 could be a real strong contender. Yeah, and, and you know you know the really well depressing if you're English or anyone else fact is that in Fabian Galtier and uh, as Rafa as well, Ibanez, they've got two really sound blokes and sensible. You know, they're not the mad, you know, hair flick Laportes and, and <laughs> these sort of people with, and even for people like Villepreux who was a maverick. You know, these are hard-headed people who are good players. Um, they're very down-to-earth. And um, they might actually, you know, maintain um, a modicum of decorum at selection, which has always been France's problem. And um, look, they're in a home World Cup. Let, let, you know, the, the more Northern Hemisphere challenges are, the better. Hey, do you know what? I just think France have got one of the best defence coaches out there. And, and uh... Yes, I, I was going to go on to that, but you brought it up, yep. <laughs> Sean Edwards I mean look what he's done to that team I mean, their defence as you know Brian on the try line you've literally got to put your body on the line and 
to keep England out a few times um, after some really serious attempt from the England boys, I was so impressed. Like that's, that's it was actually it was worthy. It was worthy of a because I thought it might be the the, the difference because the goal line stand prevented England from going in, etc. And that was it was worthy if you're romantic of of a winning the game. You could have written it that way, and they were just unfortunate in that. You know, I, I, look, they, I think they they got the rub of the decisions went against them. But this happens in games. Um, it's happened against England, but no one seems to mention that. But you know, it's the way it goes. Everyone's going off about the referee. What are your thoughts? Do you think? Yeah, the look, referee... look, it, it, look. In a game with laws like rugby union, you you can you can pull apart a breakdown decision in a many ways, and you can. It's been proven, and not in rugby circumstances, that two people can look at the same set of footage and come to completely different conclusions perfectly honestly. It's been done in crime and all sorts, policing and all sorts of stuff. And they both are, because they are approaching the subject with their context, their biases, you know, their preferences, and it's just the same. If you don't support England, you will be looking for something to go against them and, and, and vice versa. And that's what I said when I commentate. I've now learned to say, don't think about who scored, just look at exactly what's happened. And I said to people who accuse you of being biased, you say, look, you know when that went over, did you jump in the air? Because I didn't. Um, and this is the point, because if you want your strike, you will look for positivity. And hey, look, no I, one, com- no I, one I, complains when it happens in their favour. I totally agree with you. Look, I, actually, I, was, I try and watch a game from a real, like, you know, in the middle sort of view, you know, very objective. Um, and actually, there were a couple of calls where you kind of go, oh, I think France were unlucky. But England would have had a, f- a few the same way as well. Like you said, it depends what side of the fence people want to sit on. Um, and we'll see what they want to see. So I, I, I can't lie to you. There were some calls I think, oh, I probably wouldn't have made that if I was uh, in that referee's position. But, you know, everyone's got their own standard view. Um, and some people don't want England to win. <laughs> Uh, that's quite clear, as you see on social media, uh, and others sort of go, you know. England well, I, I don't mind them. They, they, they can they cannot want England to win, and nor should they if the fans are voting. I just want them to acknowledge that they're not neutrals when they're assessing this. That's all. Time now to discuss Ireland's win over Scotland. Uh, our guest is Owen Redding, the former Ireland scrum half, who's joining us now. Hello, Owen. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm all right, mate. Uh, Kellen Doris said uh, it was Ireland's best performance of the year, was it? I think they've been doing well, you know, week to week. Um, you know, there's probably some good bits in there in their attack, and Kellen Doris played very well himself. I think um, the media have been quite harsh on them over here, Brian, uh, the last few weeks. I think, um, you know, Eddie Jones has been quite vociferous about how, def- how good defences have become, um, and I think that's a fair comment. And, and it's rare that we congratulate or, or or acknowledge some of the work that's been done defensively around around the um, this Autumn Nations Cup. So I think overall the weekend, you know, their defence, Ireland's defence was probably a bit a good bit off what it had been in re- previous weeks. They had made some some huge strides actually this autumn in their defence. They probably stepped back a bit. But their attack was pretty good. Um and they kept um, they kept good distance. Their pace was pretty good. And they probably did the things that are really important to win a game right now. Um, on the whole, over the autumn, they probably stepped forward a good bit. Um, but I'd say they were probably looking for a bit more yesterday or on Saturday, to be honest. With regards to, uh, I guess, the Autumn Nations Cup, Andy Farrell's brought in some obviously, younger players and some new caps. 
What do you think Andy would have learned about the squad going forward? Yeah, I think that he probably realised that there's probably not, you know, a big, huge difference between, you know, a lot of players. I think there is a lot of depth there in terms of, um, you know, not not people, like not a huge drop-off. I think we've a, we've a bigger pool to pick from for sure that can play at that level. Probably un- uncovered one or two, um, like James Lowe, I think is someone who can not just fill in but really push things on a little bit. I think each of the teams have have players like that in them. Um, and certainly that's going to be a fine for, for Ireland going forward, I think. Um, I think it's come half. They've got some good options now. Like I think both Conor Murray and Jensen Gibson Park are real threats and can real like add value at that at that level now going into the Six Nations and there'll be real competition there. Um, you know, with two out halves who've played instead of Johnny Sexton, who, you know, both did fine. Um, I think it's hard to judge them really because they didn't get enough time due to injury. Um, but again, I think it, it's probably healthy. Again, the media over here are pretty harsh on, on, on a big gap between Johnny and the rest. Um, but I think all three are probably good enough players for for, for, um, for international level. So I think on the whole, he'll be happy. Um, you know, I think our set piece wasn't very good over the over the course of the autumn. Um, scrum was better than line out. I think if we can, you know, there are things that if we can fix, you know, you might see Ireland bounce back a bit pretty quickly. There's a lot of other things right in the game, I think. Uh, you mentioned Johnny Six, and I was going to bring him up anyway. Um, 38 he'll be at the next World Cup. What do you do with him? Because there are pros and cons for... Um, retention and uh, rejection. What would you do? So I think you know if you've ever if you ever played till you're 38, you know, and and um, Johnny won't mind me saying this, but if, like when you play till you're 38 and you're still playing, you know, to me, like I I played for Leinster till I was 36 or whatever, and I and I think looking back, you know, sometimes it says more about. The competition than you, you know. I think someone needs. If you're 36, 37, and you're still first choice, and no one has come along in 12 years to actually take your place and actually put you under pressure, I think, um, you know, that's probably the issue. I don't think it. For me, what I want to see is the, uh, the the next player, you know, taking this bull by the horns, you know, and, and finding a way to get it, their heads right or their mentality right that they actually there's no question and that they firmly try and take over. You know, I think asking. You know, particularly well, any player, but particularly Johnny, to somehow you know give this up or hand it over, or like that's just things that you know. If you think of Delalio, Johnson, Wilkinson, like these people don't do that. You know, um, they, these positions have to be taken. Like Johnny took it when he took it, and you know that's what has to happen. Um, when you've got someone that strong playing that well for that long, it's never a handover in my view. Um, it's always taken from them. I think the Raj, Ronan O'Gara and Johnny Sexton situation, if you think of it, was exactly the same. You know, Johnny took that spot. Um, Ronan didn't reduce his competitiveness or somehow take a back foot. Um, so I think what you're really looking for is, is is pressure on the opposition to step up and take it. And if they're good enough, they'll do it. And if they're not, you just keep going. Um, you know, it's very hard to manufacture and... and deliberately kind of move someone off. It's someone else needs to come up and make that easy for you. Well, Aaron, you just talked about, obviously, uh, Sexton there, 38, which is really impressive to keep still get, keep going. Um, in terms of the Ireland squad, though, leaders, that's what I think that's the question I want to ask you. Uh, James Ryan, obviously, had a, had a stint at captaincy. Do you think Ireland got any other players who can step up to that leadership role, obviously, who are you know young and coming through? 
I do, yeah. I think, um, you know, Gary Ringrose is, is, is an exceptional leader as well. Um, I think it, it, it's a difficult one. I think, you know, as a player, you're looking for, you know, Ireland have a lot of, like, you know, um, smart players with extremely good values that would be great captains in terms of work ethic and, and um, you know, just live in the right way, I think, which has become really important in, in, in rugby. Like, New Zealand has been talking about it for years, about better all-backs make better players. And I think there is a lot of, the way the system is in Ireland, you know, it's very much, it's very streamlined. You know, what's expected of you as a professional is, is very obvious early on and it gets the most out of a lot of people. So I'm not surprised that there are a lot of leaders who could lead on that level. Um, what you're looking for, you know, at international level and, and, and you know, going to World Cups is probably someone who can lead like that, but also, you know, lead physically in, in big games. And, uh, you know, I think James Ryan is probably the obvious example there where he can do that, um, where he can, you know, he can think and call a line out, but he can, you know, make the right call, kicking the touch or, or kicking a goal. Um, but then he can stand up physically and, and impose himself in the opposition as well. And I think that's important. And I think there are other players. I think CJ Sanders, someone um, who obviously being from South Africa, you know, it probably makes it harder for him, given, you know, that he hasn't been in the country as long. And, you know, does he understand how every, where, where everybody's coming from all the time and makes it a little bit more challenging for him to be as effective in the role? But maybe he can get there. There's no, no reason why he couldn't. Um, I think Caelan Doris is someone who's, who's stepping up recently as well. Um, I haven't played with him, so I'm not aware of, you know, how he is week to week. Um, but I think there are a number of players, and it's probably people I'm, I'm missing out who are, who are of the right age group, who have the right behaviours, um, who know the, the rest of the team would never feel like they're asking anything more than they would give themselves, um, and who can be motivational. You know, I think you know, when I think of um, the great captains, I think they can swing games and they can make big, big impacts when they're needed. Because sometimes, you know, talk is, talking is done and it's time for action. And I think, um, I think James Ryan is a good, good choice at the moment. I think Johnny still does that. You know, I still think he... He has all the right behaviours and he still stands up and puts in those shots that can that can turn a game um, with his choke tackles and things like that. So overall, I think they're in a good place. And it's a similar similar dilemma to the first one. You know, you kind of want your, your captain, you know, taking it, leading it and, and not sitting back waiting to be told, you know, it's your turn here. And I think, um, I think hopefully Ireland are in a good space. I think they need a good Six Nations, you know, where you see all those people I'm, I'm talking about in a different light by the end of the Six Nations and see, you know, is someone sticking their hand up to be a long-term, you know, either helper to Johnny if he, if he continues to be the best or, or successor if someone actually takes that spot from Johnny. All right, that's, uh, that's all we've got time for. Thanks very much for your comments, mate. No problem. Maggie, let's just discuss um, Scotland and Wales. Uh, Gregor Townsend seemed pretty pleased despite the losses. Um said we played some of the best rugby all year in that game, um, even though they lost. I mean, uh, for me, I thought that Scotland had solved one problem, and that was a physical problem, where, uh, whereby they used to be fighting, you know, literally, you know, as lightweights, and I thought that they developed a pack that had stopped that, but they got bullied um, in the Autumn Nations Cup, and... Uh, this shows there's a little crack there. Um, so they need to sort that out. Backs, you know, on good front football, you know, very good. Um, what do you think? I thought against Ireland, you know, they, they had an early lead. 
um, in the sense of their attacking play. I was really impressed uh, with, with some key players in that game. But you're right, you know, something which I think that Scotland, you always say they've been known for having, a, I think, a solid scrum. Um, and I guess at the times they got bullied quite a bit during during the uh, Nations Cup. Um, yeah, for me, I, I think a lot of, there's a few teams which feel like they're in transition. I don't know, you know, like there's some teams where they're bringing in some other players, testing players out. They're still trying to, um, I guess, build that cohesion because they're obviously being with COVID. Teams haven't had the time together. And I feel like Scotland's one of those teams where you, you almost go, we haven't seen the best of them yet. Um, almost same with Ireland to an extent. I think Ireland had some transition of players coming through. Probably still haven't seen the best of them. So we've Scotland have been like this for a while, though. You constantly saying, "Look, oh, Colonel of a good side. If this if this goes well, if this develops, and then it seems to, then it goes back again, and you know, and whatever. Uh, about time they needed. I think um, you know they need the stability uh, domestically and so on. I think they need to be more streamlined, like Ireland are there. Um, as for Wales, I mean, look, uh, uh, it's been a disaster of a year. Wayne Pivac said he's they're heading in the right direction. I, I tell you what, the, the only thing that I come of comfort I would take or give him is that there are several very good senior players that haven't been available. And um, apart from that, I haven't seen much. There was a spirited display against England in extremis. Um, but I think Wales are one of the sides... Who you, you know, they need the full complement. They can't, they don't they just don't have they've got a, they've got talent, but they don't have enough of that. And I'm not just talking about doing a job. I'm talking about excelling, which is the place that England and France and you know the the All Blacks and South Africa. That's where they are. Um, yeah. I, I, that's the only crumb of comfort I can see from this year under uh, with, with Wales. I think with Wales, I think what I'd love to see is more more the senior players really stand up. You know, um, it's been great to see some young players come through. I think there's a lot of pressure on Alwyn Jones as captain to to continue to, to lead this these, the troops. Um, it's almost similar to when we talk about Johnny Sexton at Ireland. You know, there's an over reliance on on Johnny, and I feel sometimes there's an over reliance on Alwyn Jones. Um, and, and we're like, who are the next leaders coming through to take the, the mantle as captain? Who are the next young leaders in that team who are going to, you know, um, give some direction? And you feel like Wales have, have sort of lost their way a little bit with that. Obviously, new head coach, but I, you just feel that's what they need to sort of sort out. And against Georgia, they got their win, yes. And against Italy, they got their win. But really, I think they almost need to start thinking about the, the next crop of players coming through and who can take on that leadership role. Maggie, talking about the Autumn Nations Cup as a as a concept, look, everybody realises it was rushed in, in circumstances that were completely preternatural. Lots of people were saying, this is a time when you can just throw caution to win, let's entertain, let's show what we're doing, let's have some fun, because we're all miserable at home. And I think, they, you know, I think this is part of it. People have been stuck indoors and saying, let's entertain me. You know, and in normal mm-hmm. times, they'd be doing things and they'd have a, a more even temperament. They'd be saying, look, I just want to win. Uh, but but sides have been very pragmatic, and it shows they're taking that side seriously. I uh, I understand both points of view, but, but, but what's your opinion? I do you know what the, the tournament has. I, I admire everyone who's made this tournament work because to get all those teams together, like you said, it was it sort of has been short notice. And I didn't realise actually. Listen to one of the French pundits yesterday on Amazon Prime um, was talking about that. 
initially Japan was going to be part of it. And then yeah, they were into it last minute. So for teams just to be able to pull that together is so impressive. And considering teams like Georgia in particular, like the guy mentioned, there are players are all over the place in France, you know, playing in other, other countries and you've got to pull them together for and this it, tournament. And it's not their fault that yeah. Fiji turned out to have the COVID problem because had Fiji played all their games, there would undoubtedly been more tries and more entertainment. So, you know, that would have lifted the whole thing. They didn't know about the, the selection process that Fabien Gautier was going to do, which, you know, the club said he broke the, the, the understanding, the agreement that they made there. So, so, so whatever. And, um, yeah, I, I. But what it's interesting because, as I say, people are dishonest when they when they the, the views of this. On the one hand, they say entertain me. On the other hand, they say don't lose. They really do. <laughs> and so, you know, what, what if it all gone out there and, and played around? What if the games had been sixty uh, fifty eight? People would have then said, "Oh, it's just basketball, silly, silly." You, know, <laughs> you, you, you. I think I think the best thing is to say, public rugby opinion as exhibited certainly on social media, should just be ignored, frankly. <laughs> Do you know, we're just lucky we had rugby played. I saw, I'm happy we had rugby played. Um, look, we had some some good rugby, especially in that final. End day, people worked hard to get get that tournament going and, and we had it. So I'm, I can't complain. It's really hard for any tournament to be embedded. You know, Six Nations has taken many years for that to be like, you know, one of our Mm. main figurehead tournaments in the Northern Hemisphere. So for a tournament just to be created and a, short notice. And another point as well is those games played at a full Millennium Stadium with the atmosphere, they would have carried the boring bits, you know, because the atmosphere is there, the players and so on. So it makes up for it. When you're viewing it in an empty stadium, you can't possibly compare. And But I tell you what it does do. It makes you look at the product itself and say, is this good enough? Does it exist as an exciting thing without all the other things? Because at times it doesn't. And there are things Absolutely. they can do and should do, you know, uh, about it, that they can do simply. Um, so it's I totally agree. There. No, I totally agree. There's times when you're watching the games and because there's no crowd or fans, yep. you sort of go, well, it just looks like a training match and it looks quite un- un- you know, not thrilling, not entertaining. But you're right, you whack a bunch of crowd there. Like yesterday, I know it was only 2,000 people, just had it added another element to the atmosphere. And all of yep. a sudden, you, the game was entertaining itself, but... You found it was more entertaining to watch because there were people in the stands. Full contact in association with Mitsubishi Motors. Everyone's ambitions are different. You can climb to the top, or you could take on uphill battles of a different kind. You can explore for hundreds of miles, or you could begin a bigger journey. You can make time fly. Or you could make it stand still. The Mitsubishi SUV range. Drive your ambition. Well, if you're a regular subscriber to this podcast, you will know that in partnership with England Rugby, Mitsubishi Motors runs a volunteer recognition programme to provide the rugby community with opportunities to recognise and reward the volunteers who are the heartbeat of the game. Throughout the autumn, in association with Mitsubishi, I have been chatting with a selection of rugby volunteers to hear their stories and to shine a light on the brilliant work they've been doing in these most challenging of times. My guest for the seventh instalment is Sunday Times Grassroots Sportswoman of the Year, Zenab Almeida. Zenab, hi. Hi, Brian. Uh, Lau, you founded the Studs in the Mud project. 
How, why, when, and what? What is it? How in 2019, so last year, um, it's a project looking at getting rugby to different parts of um, basically countries that rugby is not necessarily um, popular in. Uh, it's about using the rugby values to change people's life for the better and mainly due to, um, you know, it's to um, empower women and children, inspire children as well. I hear you also appreciated Muslim rugby. That's the it, Muslim yeah. Muslim women <laughs> in rugby. What was the purpose and the mission of this project? And, and, and was it inspired by your own experiences? And if so, which particular point? Yes, it was inspired by my, my own experience. Being, generally being a black Muslim woman in the um, rugby scene, didn't see many people like me. And Muslim rugby is to try and um, not let anyone feel the way I did when I started playing rugby. So mm-hmm. it's about networking Muslim women that play rugby, inspiring each other, sharing experiences. How, how did you feel? I felt really isolated. I felt like I didn't fit in in the rugby community. I was really often thinking, where are where are people that look like me? Um, is this sport for me? That's a lot of the things mm-hmm. that kept um, playing on my mind. I mean, one of the things that would stand out, obviously, the, the dress sense. Any any problem with that now? Mm-hmm. Oh, not at all. Not at all. I wear, I wear sports hijab to play, yep. um, and I fasten a scrum cap on top just in case it falls off. Because yep. you know, I, being called bulldozer, I really do like to get into the game, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about that one. I've got my scrum cap on top, um, but it doesn't it doesn't play only in sevens though when it's really hot and <laughs> covered up. That's the only thing. But yeah. I don't play sevens much, so that's uh, that's not too much of a problem. Why do you think it's so important to make rugby more accessible to women, more diverse? And what do you think the biggest challenges are when you're trying to do that? I think um, the reason why it's so important, I think um, it's about growth of the game, essentially, getting people from different backgrounds and different cultures um, to play rugby. Ultimately, you're going to have a bigger talent pool um, to choose from and just rugby and its values is just so important and to, to give that to every people, everyone across the board, regardless of religion, ethnic, minority and, and background, I think it's very important to, to grow it that way. Um, in terms of... Um, challenges i think a lot of the times is stereotypes a lot of people potentially feel that i mean mean, for me being a muslim i'm not allowed to play sports why am i I should be in the kitchen or having babies and stuff um but i think if you're able to give rugby to to somebody from underrepresented group it can do so much wonders and ultimately i think representation is very important people if they can see it they can be it so wherever that's going to come from if you see someone that looks like you ultimately you can relate to them and feel like do you know what if they can do it i can do it too being a mother <laughs> and an nhs worker um, yes you've been very busy um how has it you know how has that helped in oh, your so volunteer much. work yeah. Um, it does help a lot. I think with me um, having so many hats to myself, being a mother and all that kind of stuff, um, rugby helps for me to balance the others out. So it's my stress reliever. What something I go to when I'm stressed and something that I need to help me with all the um, the motherhood stuff and working in NHS and being busy. Um, my projects, I feel like it gives me a sense of purpose as well. So I know that by doing by um, following my passion and getting more people. Um, inspired through my projects and getting them to join rugby, ultimately I'm hopefully changing their lives, but through through rugby. Mm-hmm. So it gives me that sense, it gives me drive, it gives me that sense of purpose. Look, um, you, you've talked about the, the benefits for being in profile and so on. What immediate measures, um, and I would bear in mind the, that rugby hasn't got a lot of money at the moment, what would you mm-hmm. like to see the initiatives from the RFU or indeed anyone else to help the women's game, the BMA game? 
I think, um, so I'm part of an advisory board uh, from Girls Rugby Club that Rachel Burford founded. Um, and we talk a lot about these kind of stuff. And I think even from the little things that the grassroots club, allowing women to play in the best pitches that they have, just like the men's do. Yeah. Having us not being an afterthought, but actually being part of the the, the the initial thoughts. Whenever you want to do anything in the club, you're talking about the men's, you're talking about women's as well. We don't we don't want to be the afterthought. Mm-hmm. Prime time TV. Getting I know BBC. We you know recently we we managed to get some airtime the women's game, but I you know we want more of that. That would be absolutely amazing because that's when the young girls looking and watching. Someone that even never even played rugby before, they're looking and be like, wow, look at this amazing team. I wanted I could do it too. You know, so I think prime time TV, making sure we're not after, we're not an afterthought, yeah. and I think all these things, all these amazing initiatives, hopefully, will, will help grow the game. Yeah, mm-hmm. can I just say, uh, yeah. great congratulations on winning the Sunday Times Vitality Grassroots Sportswoman of the Year award. Um, it's yeah. been great to talk to you. Your enthusiasm, and passion have been, you know, it comes across. I hope you understand that you do have that. Uh, charisma about you and it's a good thing what Thank does you. the uh, award mean to you the recognition means, for the award as well yeah it, it means a lot and uh, I was nominated actually by my uh, teammate Sarah Bostoff from Barnes Rugby Club and uh, it means a lot I do what I do I play rugby because I love it it's my passion and to be recognised um, for, for just doing what I love it's amazing and the accolade is, is you know is as you know it's amazing Sunday Times, Vitality, and I, what I really want from this, from honest, for my project to be sustainable, for me to be able to bring mm-hmm. rugby to different parts of the world, to really grow the women's game, and to be a positive advocate for women and children, of, especially of ethnic minorities for the game, and hopefully this accolade will help me to, to reach that goal. Um, and also, I don't know if you've heard, Brian, um, I want to, this is my, my vision, right, to sit down with a cup of Earl Grey, watching the women's game and see a Muslim woman represented England. Yep. And I want that to happen one day. For more details about the Mitsubishi Motors Volunteer Recognition Programme with England Rugby, visit www.englandrugby.com forward slash participation forward slash volunteers forward slash. Maggie, uh, England women have had a year to remember heading to the World Cup ranked number one, not necessarily favourites maybe, um, are they favourites or is it home advantage? I think they're definitely up there as favourites. Um, New Zealand playing the Rugby World Cup, which has never been played um, in their country before, um, are definitely going to be considered as one of the favourites as well. And the whole of New Zealand are literally in support of this this tournament coming to the country. Um, I think it's going to be a, a tough challenge for for England to go out there and to get that World Cup win. But knowing England, they've they've won, they've beaten New Zealand before in in um, in New Zealand. So I think it's going to be a tournament that should hopefully be heavily competitive. But I generally sort of believe it's probably going to be an England New Zealand final. And yeah. the way England are looking at the moment, they look incredibly confident. You know what they've had a good year. I know it's difficult because of the circumstances this year, preparation and so on, to see them sides compared. And also, they don't play each other that often. You're so right. So usually, what normally happens before a Rugby World Cup. Um, England and New Zealand tend to play each other a few times so England might either go out to New Zealand to play them a few times to, to establish where they're currently at or New Zealand might come over to to here to play um, but that obviously hasn't happened and it isn't going to happen because of the COVID circumstances so England's sort of going to sort of not had a chance to retest themselves against New Zealand 
And also many of those players in the England team, some of them are still quite young. Some of them have never played New Zealand or if they have played New Zealand, they've only lost. So that's going to be quite interesting. Will that affect the way England's mentality is going into a World Cup in New Zealand um, against the potentially they could meet the best team in well, one of the best teams in the world? So um, I think it does affect preparation, but knowing England, they'll do everything they possibly can to, to make sure they're ready for, for that tournament. Um, England have also got France in their pool. I assume um, before the World Cup, England wanted to play France a few times, but now that they're in their pool, that probably might not happen as much. So who will England use to be their their team to sort of prepare themselves with? They'll probably end up doing what you just said there, possible versus, poss- possible versus probables, um, and test each other a lot in camp. Um, we'll do some questions now. Um, one from Clampy. Some games are absolute belters, clubs, internationals. Others who kick tennis, scrum, resets, yet they're the same law. So if the fault is not just with the Lords, what needs to be done to get a more entertainment more often? Oh, um, <laughs> the best way to answer that. It's really hard one to answer that question. I want it in a succinct, short answer. <laughs> Every game is different. Um, I think there's, there's no way to really increase, um, improve the entertainment of a game other than really changing some rules. And I just think every team plays they want to play um, in terms of getting advantage. So I probably can't answer that question in the most succinct way. All I can say is subject- entertainment is subjective. All right, Adam, very quickly. The things they can do really easily. They can stop allowing scrum halves uh, for 30 seconds to get it to the back of a rook in the ideal position. Call the... Use it. Count down the five allow- loud... They don't use it. That's it. It's a scrum. Turn the ball over. That cuts it down. Don't allow uh, conferences on the way to lineouts. Don't allow conferences before scrums. If you wanted to, you could just referee this. And uh, the reason I say you shouldn't referee it is because they come under pressure to do things and then they resile from it. If you had a stop clock, like in American football, you've got to snap the ball within 30 seconds from, from, you know, from the clock going on. And if you don't, you, know, you get marched back five yards. If, you, if, you, if you're not, you, the ball goes out, if you're not there, out with a, you know, an injury or whatever, if you're not there and it's not in with 30, within 30, 30 seconds or whatever you agree, then you lose the putting or the throw. I tell you what, they'd be there like a shot. The reason they don't do it, and the reason why you can't take, I don't think it's the right thing to take the time off for reset scrums, is they'll just take more time. Because they think, well, it's not being taken off the actual time, so what does it matter if this takes five minutes? You're going to see 80 minutes play. No, well, as you will do, but it'll be over two hours, which we don't want. You know, so, so small things like that that don't require law changes. You've got to be very careful with law changes because they have unintended consequences. But simply, very simple things like, and you'd be amazed how quickly it goes. I'm not, I don't mean, this is not meant, in my day it was better. Because there were more mistakes, the standing wasn't as good, etc., etc. It wasn't as fast. But I tell you what, the game flowed better because the restarts, every time it was dropped, it came back in, into play within, you know, 40 seconds. It didn't take two, two and a half minutes to come back in. So yeah. the rhythm was different. So when people watch it, it actually seems to flow more. It actually seems, it's, superficially, it seems, oh, this is, this, is, this is a better product. It's not actually, but it does flow better. And we're getting this to a thing. I just think you can't muck about rules too much. If there's, if there's anything, you probably do change the pointing pointing systems or reduce the, yeah. the amount of uh, people you bring off the bench just because I think, like you said, minutes start changing rules, all of a sudden 
there's consequences and then what I might have a game like NFL which I absolutely love but you're right it does last about two hours sometimes when you have when you stop the clock on certain time certain occasions all these questions require a thesis um <laughs> the the- so I'll just take one just one more then do you think the Saris contingent will get enough competitive games in the championship to keep them sharp for international duty do you know what? I actually think the Saracens will Saracens players will have the opportunity to look after their bodies. I mean, next year we've got the Lions, um, which is going to be absolutely crucial for players to put themselves in the shop window for that. And I think Saracens will, will play some championship games, but then the reality is they'll probably put themselves in a, in a they'll go into what potentially would be a difficult Lions tour, probably in a good good place, being fit and healthy and ready to go. So I think some players would be envious of their, of their opportunity that some of the Saras players will get to, to look after their bodies. Look, I, I would have said at one point this was a problem, but now that they have the camps that you know, precede tournaments and the solid work that they're allowed to do there for a prolonged period of time, and having seen, been down to England camps and seen how hard they work, I think that's less of a problem than it, than it used to be where people were ticking over. It used to take them a couple of games to get up to speed. Because if they are not sharp when they get into camp, they'll either not be picked or they will get sharp. And you're, you're talking about players who have shown they can do it anyway. Mm. So it'll just be a question of that element of focus. Is it there, isn't it? If it's not, well, sorry, you're not there, but we know you can be there. So actually, let's, let's sort it out and make sure you are. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Huge thank you today to my co-host Maggie Alfonsi and to all our guests. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous episodes. And to stay update on all things sport, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact where listeners can get 30 days access to all The Telegraph's premium sports coverage completely free. But for now, it's goodbye. Full Contact, in association with Mitsubishi Motors, drive your ambition.